Family Sunday and this passage weren't picked to coincide, but they do because this passage has a father sacrificing his daughter. That's right, kills his daughter because he makes a bad promise. And so that's what we're going to actually be in today. We're in the book of Judges. Judges is a pretty dark book. I love it. It's like watching a Nolan movie. Like you just kind of go, golly, this is brooding and serious and everyone's dying. Like that's like, that's really what's going on here. A lot of disobedience, a lot of evil. And then throughout it, there's this thread of hope because God keeps doing work, even though his people are crazy. So what we're going to see today is just how bad things can become. But then at every opportunity that things might be coming badly, there are things that we can actually do, opportunities that exist for us at every turn. And so we're going through the story of Jephthah today, and let's just go ahead and learn these words. You can write them here, and then you can begin to color them in. But the first word, and this is for the kids in the room, I'm going to say it, and then when I say it, I'm going to do this. And when I do this, I need you to say the word back to me, like with your words, okay? So, so the first word is turn. There you go. You're getting it. Turn. Turn. The second word, can you even guess? You might even know what that is. Yeah, what do you think? Pray. That's right. So the second word is pray. There you go. This one's a little harder. It doesn't mean love. You might say, what, what? No, you know, well, your mom made it. That doesn't count. Yeah, your mom made the sheet. That's the third word is no. Okay, so the third word is No. That's right. Okay, so those three words are going to become very important as we go through this passage today with this dad, Jephthah, who was a judge, kind of unwanted, unloved, and he did kind of lead warrior Eskely. You know, he kind of was like a warrior, tough guy. But at the end of the day, his view of God was so off, so confused, so misunderstood that he thought doing the wrong thing was the right thing. He thought that disobedience was actually obedience. And he thought something that dishonored God would honor God. Have you ever thought the same kind of thing? Maybe you've been in a situation where you're just confident that punching your brother in the nose is the thing to do in whatever situation you're a part of. It is. Somebody said it is sometimes the right thing to do. Duh. Right? We all feel this way where we're confident that something is right, but it actually isn't right. Yet everything around us and everybody around us might even be saying, that's the thing that you should do. So with Jephthah today, we're actually in a large portion of the book of Judges. Next week, we're in the longest. Since it was the longest, we handed that to Mr. Tim and said, you do four chapters, buddy. I'm going out of town which is literally what's happening. Uh, so we get to Samson next week. And so if you're following Judges to this point, what you'll see is it kind of starts okay. And then it just begins to descend. 
every judge, every decision, every story, view of God gets a little smaller, more and more misunderstanding, more and more confusion. Then it kind of stops there about a third of the way through and you get to Gideon and it kind of begins like this. It's like, oh, are we turning? Are we making a difference here? And then we all oh, we're here for the Gideon story and it's like, nope, it's only gonna get worse. And then we go down through Abimelech. Then we get to Jephthah. Next week, we're gonna start out the Samson story and you're gonna think, oh, is it getting better again? And then nope, it's gonna end way over here. Then we finish at the end of the book of Judges with two stories just about terrible situations. There actually are no judges in sight by the end of the story. There's just a lot of wickedness. Disregard for God, disregard for his people, disregard for worship. But today with Jephthah, Judges 11 and forward, we're going to see a few items. And what are our three words? First word is turn. Second word is? Yeah, third word is? Yeah, so okay, yeah, we're getting out of order too, which is totally fine because we all do it. All right, so we start with a failure. These are actually three different failures, and at every failure, we're going to have that word behind it. So there's first failure is a failure of worship. Now, worship is an interesting word because so often we view it like singing. Worship is singing. Worship is music. I love worship music. And we have this, I would say, very often small view of what worship is. Worship is a response, fundamentally. It is a response to the revelation that we have of God. So as God moves or as we read or as we see how God is responding, we respond in some way and you might respond with joy. You might respond with giving. You might respond by having a conversation with a friend who doesn't know Jesus. You might respond by not punching your brother or your sister when you're frustrated because you realize that doesn't reflect him well, the character of God well. And so worship is a response to something and we will either be worshiping God the one true God, or we will be worshiping something else. And the Israelites had a failure of worship. This was actually what we saw all throughout the first passage that these boys read for us so well. People of Israel did again. They did again what was evil. Verse 10, 10 6 through 16. In the sight of the Lord. And they served, which could also mean like worshiped, gave themselves over to, gave their attention to, gave their adoration to. They served the Baals and the Astra, the gods of Syria, Sidon, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. That fundamentally is a failure of worship to not give God, the proper place in one's heart, in one's life, in one's activity, in one's daily going about, to not consider the place of God in these spaces. And the Israelites did this throughout the book of Judges time and time and time again. But they did again, and they served the small g gods, the idols of the surrounding nations. What is the response? Verse 7, so the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the hands of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel. For 18 years they oppressed the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Ammonites, which is Gilead. 
And so there was 18 years of oppression and of fighting. Verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. And it's interesting because the Lord comes back in verse 11 and he gives them a response. They go, we've forsaken you, we've served other gods. And the Lord goes back with what he has done in history for his people. Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, the Ammonites, from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, the Amalekites, the Manites oppressed you? You cried out to me and I saved you. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go. Now, this is the interesting thing. God almost uses like reverse psychology in a sense. He's like, go, serve the other gods. See if they will save you. Let them save you in your time of distress. Now this, right there, verse 14, leave it right there. This is what happens if you are 8, 18, 48, 58, 68, 78, 88, it doesn't matter. What happens when you leave God who has saved you and you go try and find some other source of salvation, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed, and it might take you 18 years to find out. Because only in maybe some of the most grievous of like one-act sins do we realize just how bad it's become. But just like very often we gain a pound a year for 20 years, then 20 years later we go, how did this happen? pound a year for 20 years. That's how it happened. A little disregard for 18 years is how you realize you got into it. Year one, this isn't too bad, a little annoying. The pressure from the surrounding nations is a little uncomfortable. Year two, we can still tolerate it. By year 18, you have a whole different way of thinking and a whole different way of behaving and a whole different way of believing, a whole different way of responding. You have become uh, basically trained by the surrounding culture to think and live and believe a certain way. And it's only when, and hear me now, because there are people probably in this room who really do not give allegiance to God and are not concerned about him. You might think you are fine right now, and you are not. You might think that nothing bad has happened because either you haven't been caught or it hasn't been serious or everyone else does it, but guess what? When the Israelites go after the gods of the surrounding nations, they're just doing as everyone else did. And it results in their distress. It's a problem of worship. Not giving attention, heart, and the right reflection of your life to the one to whom it is due, the one who saved you. To the Christian in this room today, I wonder where might you be giving your heart over to other things, to other people, to other places, to other vices that just nibble at your affection right now. But nibbling every day over months and years leads to a very hollow relationship with God. So they cry out, and God says, give it a run with your gods. Let's see how it goes. 
Now, if you've talked to anybody, and kids, maybe, I don't know what the, all the ages of all the kids in this room are, but if you have a dad or a mom who came to faith, uh, maybe came to Jesus in, in their 20s or in their 30s, talk to them about it. Because to a man or to a woman, I have met nobody who uh, God has brought back from maybe even decades of disobedience saved out of sin and disobedience and said, you know what, I am so glad that I got the first 30 years of my life to myself. It is met with regret in the sense, not, not shame, it's over, God saved you from it. But just, man, if I had only known, I wouldn't have this situation. I wouldn't still be living with the consequences of those decisions. Talk to anybody who came to faith later in life and they will say, I promise you it is better to follow Jesus early than it is just to delay following Jesus because you think there's something this life has to offer. To the kids in the room, I say this, don't make the same mistake your parents might have. Don't make the same mistake that many have where they decide to pursue Jesus a little later, they delay, 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 then finally, out of some situation, God reaches down and goes, I'm gonna save you from this. Commit now your ways and your heart and your decisions to the Lord Jesus. Commit now these things. Because then you have your whole life to learn. To learn obedience. To understand God's character. To deal with your sin. I I talk to people sometimes who came to faith young in life. And they just have a peculiar confidence in God's character. They just know he's good. And they know he'll provide because he's been providing for them for 30 or 40 years. And there's just not the concern that exists in their heart. Purpose now to do just that. So God says, give it a run. And the people respond to God and say, we've sinned. We've sinned. It's one of the only times we're actually saying that in this book. We have sinned. We've crossed you. We have done wrong against you. So do what's good to us, but please deliver us. So they did put away their foreign gods, and they served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. This is interesting. Like the, the, the idea is like he got tired of it. He got tired of it. He grew weary of their sin and of their disobedience. What was the first word I gave you? Turn, that's right. The first word that we have is turn. In a failure of worship, which anybody in this room might be in at any time, when you have a failure of worship, you, if you have breath in your lungs, have an opportunity to turn. And you turn from living your own way. You turn from living in your own confidence You turn from trusting in the surrounding idols of this world and of this culture and thinking that money or wealth or Netflix forever will satisfy you, give you what you need. We know, Jacob. We have this. I've got the same thing, man. That the pursuit of just one more thing, one more dollar, one more movie, one more more whatever is going to actually give us what we want. And it doesn't. But regardless of where you are in that journey of your own idolatry, because of what Christ has done for you, you can turn and you can trust. This is demonstrated all throughout the book of Judges where they've done evil and they cry out 
and God responds. And they've done evil, and they cry out, and God responds. And they've done evil, and they cry out, and God responds. Maybe today you're wondering, would God accept you if you turned? There are people, even in this room, who have a list of sins that they are embarrassed by. That they really don't want others to know, but God already knows. And if you turn to him and ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive. Christian in the room, if you are in Christ today, we still have a word from John. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And um, we can turn to him. If you are not a Christian today, if you don't follow Jesus, if you're unsure if you follow Jesus, you can turn to him. Go, forgive me for my sins. Make me right with you. And he is faithful to do just that. When there's a failure of worship, we can turn. Now, there isn't a specific part of this story where God raises up a judge, but we have enough clues to know that that's what he's doing. There's somebody coming onto the scene. The Lord didn't just raise up Jephthah, but there are things happening that now we know Jephthah's showing up on the scene. The Ammonites are coming, and they're all about to cause a big problem. But I'm going to call this next failure a failure of discernment. A failure of discernment. And what I mean by that is just the ability to make a good decision in a difficult time. Some people in this room have the gift of discernment. They can actually just kind of see the right path. Others are discerning fools. We just go, ah, well, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to kind of do what I think is best. I'm not sure what that is. It sounds like at this point in time with what's going on, They just go, hey, let's just go get Jephthah. Now, I want you to get introduced to this guy, Jephthah, in chapter 11. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. This has shades of Abimelech again. Abimelech rolled with bad dudes. Jephthah did the same thing. He was ousted by his family. Hey, get out of here. We don't want to see you. And so what do you do when nobody wants you? You find the people who want you. And they may not be the best of company. Then as things got tough, you know what everybody, his former people thought? Hey, let's go get that guy we ousted who's just kind of run around with a bunch of tough guys. Let's get him to fix our problems. Let's get the tough guy to fix our problems. That sounds like a good idea. Verse 4, after a time the Ammonites made war against Israel, and when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob, and they said, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. So they want him now. A guy who is kicked out of his town, 
and just surrounded himself with bad guys, troublemakers. Now they're like, you know what? He'd be good. Also kind of disposable. Like if he dies, it's not the end of the world. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me? Drive me out of my father's house. Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? Oh, now you come. Now you want my help. You didn't want my help and everything was okay, but now you want my help that everything's gone bad. I get it. And they said, hey, this is why we've turned to you, verse 8, that, we may, that you may go before us and fight against the Ammonites and be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, the Lord gives them over, I'll be your head. And the elders said, Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went and the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all the words before the Lord. Hmm. Now, this is interesting because they, they, they have this guy who was unwanted. And now that things have gotten bad, they go back to the guy who's unwanted, who's full of bad friends, and they say, hey, you fight for us. It's like they go get the bully. And they, hey, could you come just do this? And so he's like, yeah, sure. I mean, if, you, uh, if I win, I'm the leader. I'm in charge here. They go, that sounds good to us. Remember how we've talked about this throughout Judges? Like when you get in a bad way, almost anything sounds like a good idea. And so like when, you, when, you have, like when it gets bad enough, you ever just you gone to the doctor maybe with an ailment and you just go, listen, I'll take whatever. If you can, if you can prevent me from feeling this way, I'm in. I'm in. And so the guy they didn't want at a time of distress, they go back to him and say, yeah, we'll take you now. He goes, well, if you do this, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And they go, sounds good to us. Sounds like a plan, man. Now, I want to ask this question here. This isn't in right, right there in the text, but when I say it's a failure of discernment, now we've gotten to this part of Judges where if you go back to maybe Deborah and Barak, chapters 4 and 5, where Deborah says to Barak, the Lord has given you victory. It's God's confidence spoken through Deborah to Barak that lets him know what is to come. And then you get in uh, in Gideon, in Gideon, you get God speaking to Gideon to say, you will have victory. And now the language has shifted, and it's people talking, and they're making a deal about it. It's no longer God's confidence spoken to people to know what he's doing. It's just the Gileadites and Jephthah talking about it. And so they strike a deal, which is, if I win, I lead. That's what I want. And there's, there's no more God here, is there? There's no more discussion about what would the Lord have in this situation, and what is he doing here? How is he moving this along? Some of that language that existed earlier in the book of, and then God raised up. Then God raised up. God raised up, has started to fade away. 
and discussions about God and his character, they've started to go. And now it's just about the people. You'll see this next week in Samson, whom God blesses with an inordinate amount of his provision. And he gives an incredible uh, portion of his spirit for the battle. And he's announced, his birth is announced angelically, which happens a handful of times in Scripture where an angel shows up to say a kid's going to be born. And they're all pretty important times. And yet, Samson just goes, yep, I don't want it. He just kind of goes after his own appetites and his own hunger. We can be tempted to make decisions without discernment. And when we fall on tough times, we don't always run to God, but we run to other solutions. Very often man-made solutions. We try to fix it in our own strength or with our own alliances or with our own power. And we don't run to God first. Uh, Elders read a retreat in June, and we were doing some training, and our group leaders had this training, similar training, this past Friday and Saturday. And one of the things that we talked about in our June retreat was that you got to go vertical with it. When there's a problem, you got to go vertical, because if you only try and address a problem between people, you're going to miss God's presence in the problem, and maybe even his desire. In fact, the training that we did over the weekend Uh, the guy we were watching who was kind of leading through it, he goes, there aren't really two sides to a problem. There's really only one side. It's God's side, and you need to be on that side. That's really the place that you need to land. But it sounds here like Jephthah and the Gileadites are just bargaining. If you even think to the kingdom, because this series is called No King in Sight. If you think to that, What begins to happen is that God appoints these first kings. God speaks and God anoints and God selects. But what we've seen from the back end of Gideon to Abimelech to Jephthah is now the people are selecting. The people are choosing. The people are identifying. The people are doing this. And they don't have the discernment at this time to seek the Lord. So what's the second word that I gave you? Pray, there you go. So when we have a failure of worship, we turn. When we have a failure of discernment, we pray. And we ask God what his side is. What would he do in this situation? So we have, as a family, this is Family Sunday, right? I think. As a family, we have situations in our life, things we don't know the answer to. Hey, you know, we, we, a couple of my boys like sports. Lord, what sports should we be involved in? What would you like us to do? What kind of commitment should we make? What kind of conversations do we need to have about that? What should our extracurriculars be? Where should we spend our weekend? What should, like, like these are the kind of things, like, it's not just, like, every time we move, we pray. That doesn't happen that much for us. Haven't moved in a while, been five years. So it's those, Lord, what would you have us do in this situation? If you get extra money, how would we spend this? How would we be generous with this? What would we do in this? 
kids, if you have an opportunity to participate in something in school, go, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. And parents, please don't use prayer as a tool for manipulation where you've already decided, but you're just now trying to guide them to it. Right? Because when you go to the Lord, you're actually saying your way, not mine. Right? It's your way here. And when we fail in discernment, we need to pray, <laughs> asking him for his wisdom. And what does James, Jesus' half-brother, and I know some of you have brothers in the room. I have three sons. If you have brothers in the room, I doubt anybody with a brother. Caleb, we'll start with you. Do you think John John is the savior of the world? No? Yeah. You can see his face. His face is saying it, even though his head's shaking. No, no, it's like, whoa. James, a younger brother of Jesus, didn't believe his brother was the Savior. Makes sense. I probably wouldn't believe it either if somebody told me my brother were the Savior. But finally, later in life, James gets it. And James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives all to generously and ungrudgingly will be given. He gives us what we need to understand what we should do. Very often our prayer lives are only about the big things and not even about the small things. We don't ask God about the small things, things that seem small to us. But I would love for all of the families who are represented here to bring God into every decision. What should we do here? How should this work? What would God have for us? How should we spend this? How should we do this? Where should we spend our time? Do we have any friends at school who have needs right now that we could be praying for? And just develop habits of bringing God into the entire conversation. Even as I'm going on my bike ride, and I pushed it real hard this week, thinking I'd get the fastest average bike mile per hour I ever got, and I didn't. And I was so mad, because uh, I felt like I was going real hard, but I was wrong. I'm like, Lord, you know, push, keep me up. Pray no cars hit me. Like, Come on, let's do this. I don't, I don't wear earbuds when I bike because I want to hear other cars coming, especially as I'm going down like Panther Creek or Lake Woodlands. Like I'm like, mm, mm, mm. Uh, they're, they're coming kind of close. I'm like, Lord, I, you got me. I know you got me, right? Jesus, take the handlebars, whatever we're going to do. But making it a part of everything that you do gets you out of some terrible decisions that you might make otherwise. When we have a failure of worship, what do we do? First word. When we have a failure of discernment, what do we do? Pray. There we go. But then comes the failure of leadership. The first thing that happens in verses 12 through uh, 28, but I'll just show you 12 through 13 here, is he tries diplomacy which is interesting because he doesn't seem like a diplomatic guy. A guy who has a bunch of bad friends and the first thing he's going to do is be diplomatic about it. He doesn't fight with might first. He fights with brains. And no offense, but like, he's probably not the smartest guy around. But Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites, verse 12 of chapter 11, and said, what do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? 
And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, this is a while back now, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and the Jordan and now restore it peaceably. So what's going on here is back when they came from Egypt, the king of the Ammonites is going, I have claim on this land. And so they're going to fight over the land. It's a land dispute. Now anybody who's ever put a fence up knows what these are. Where you go, oh gosh, got to talk to the neighbor, got to get the surveyor. Hey, is it my fence or your fence? I, you know, do you want to go in halvesies? Or do you want like really? It's on your property, and so really, it's your responsibility. But if you let the planks face me, I'm cool with it. You know, like we'll do that. But if they have to face you, you got to pay. Like all these things, it's a land dispute. We all know land disputes. And so Jephthah gives a history lesson in the preceding passages and he goes no 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 no, that didn't happen we were coming from Egypt and we tried to pass through but we weren't allowed Edom wouldn't let us stay with them Moab wouldn't let us stay stay with them Shihon the king of the Amorites came but he wouldn't let us pass he came to fight us so we fought him and he lost so our God's given it to us and I don't know why for a few hundred years you have not been, you seem to have been cool with that, and now you're not. That's the first thing he tries to do is diplomacy. So verses 27 and 28, he says, I therefore have not sinned against you. You have done me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide on this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. So, uh, Bob Chisholm, one of the commentaries I use for this, he, call, he talks about how triumph turns to tragedy. Because this is where you see that phrase in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and he passed on to Mizpah of Gilead and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites and Jephthah, hear this, made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Bum, bum, bum. That's right. That's right. So Jephthah is ready. Now here's the thing that we need to realize. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. He's already given the history lesson. If you have any knowledge of what's going, we've talked about this throughout the book of Judges. Victory is God's. So why even make a vow? If you give me victory, I'll do this. It's the Lord's victory. It's already been assured. It's his land. It's his people. And yet, we always have this little part of us, don't we? It's like, I still, I still need to do something here. So there is victory. And then we get back home. Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, verse 34, and behold, look, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child, Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. 
And you have become the cause of great trouble for me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. What? What? So she leaves and says, okay, I understand, Dad. You have to do what you have to do, which includes killing me. Just give me two months, because I've never been with a man, I've never had a family. Give me two months to mourn over that, and then I'll come back. And you can do that then. Verse 29, 30. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father and did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Now, at a cursory read of this, it would make sense to go, well, he gave his word. And you got to keep your word. Not if it's stupid. Like, 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 it, like, if you give the wrong word, you don't keep it. Like, I promise I'll divorce you if you do this. Like, you don't, you don't have to keep that word. God doesn't love divorce. And so, like, you're not honoring God to keep a word like that just because, like, well, I've said it. I've said it, so I have to keep with it because I've said it. Maybe you've made a bad deal with your kids where you go, hey, if you do this, the consequence is this. But the consequence is just ridiculous. If you eat one more Skittle, I'm going to ground you for 13 years. <laughs> what? What? You know? Fallen people make fallen mistakes. They say things that they regret. When their worship is wrong, they don't turn. When their discernment is wrong, they don't pray. And when their vows are wrong, it's because they don't, what's the third word? They don't know. They don't know. Deuteronomy, from long before this happened in the book of Judges, Deuteronomy 29 through 31, 12, 29 through 31, should be the end of the story on human sacrifice. God's people don't kill God's people. They don't kill. They don't sacrifice humans to God. That's what the surrounding nations do. But if you go back to the beginning, what was the big problem? They went after all the gods of the surrounding nations. Deuteronomy 12, 29-31. When the Lord God, your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. That should be the end of the story for any vow Jephthah makes. He seemed to have at least a cursory knowledge of the history of his people but he didn't have knowledge of the law of his people, the ways 
that his God would have them operate. He didn't know. And he should have known. When I talk about this, when I go and teach judges, I always like to ask people, we don't have to do it here, but I like to ask people, well, what would you do here? What would you do there? And some people be like, no, he absolutely needs to keep his word. I'm like, and kill his daughter? And disregard what's in Deuteronomy? What was our first word? What was it? Yeah, turn. Hey, when you say something ridiculous, turn. Just go, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for being rash. Forgive me for vowing something that you don't love. Forgive me for making a commitment that I shouldn't have made. Forgive me for that. But Judges is like that spiral staircase. It's a spiral staircase down. Boom, 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 boom. And you're hitting your head on every step as it goes all the way down. Thunk, 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 thunk. And your view of God has gotten smaller because you've increased your view of the gods of the surrounding culture. The surrounding nations, the ways they worship and what they do. And everything God commanded for his people to not do in Deuteronomy chapter 12, they are doing Everything God said, don't do, they're doing. Don't ask yourself, well, how do you do that? How do you worship? What is this kind of thing? What is that kind of thing? When you don't know, but you have filled your mind and heart with knowledge of everybody and everything else, you will wander confused. This book ends with civil war, the story. They start killing kind of northern tribes, killing one another. Judges 12, 5, and 6. The Gileadites captured the fjords of Jordan against the Ephraimites. These are both from the land. When any of the fugitive Ephraim said, let me go over, and the son of man of Gilead said, are you an Ephraimite? And they said, no. And they said, say, shibboleth. This is that cultural phrase we give, shibboleth or sibboleth, because there's a sh sound in Hebrew, and there's a s sound. And so say, say, shibboleth, and he would say sibboleth, because their tongues wouldn't pronounce the words the right way. And if they knew they couldn't pronounce it the right way, they would seize and slaughter them. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. So not only does the story end with a household child sacrifice, but the slaughter of portions of a tribe of God's people. And again, this isn't the only civil war in the story. Verse 7, Jephthah judged Israel six years. Six years. And then Jephthah died and was buried in his city in Gilead. Manasseh and Ephraim are by each other. Six years of ruling, a dead daughter, dead brothers, no peace. There's no statement that ends at the end of this, and there was peace in the land for. Those showed up at the beginning of the book. They have not shown up toward the end. He's just dead. And by the time it's dead, if you look, there's three more judges, Ibzon, Elon, and Abdon, and they're just listed. Again, it's like you get through this story, and you're just like, oh. Oh, I need a break. And so you get three. This one, this happened after Abimelech, didn't it? Same kind of thing. 
this Tola, Jair, like, like we're getting these reprieves from such terrible judgeships. And we look at this today, and we have Family Sunday, right? Like that's, that's it, Family Sunday. Catherine and I were talking about it when she came in. Is it Family Sunday? I said, it is Family Sunday. We've been waiting for months. It is time. But I would bet to everybody in this room who has parents that they have to live with still, these three words you can use to help your mom or your dad or both stay near to Jesus. What are the three words? The first one, turn. The second one, pray. The third one, no, that's right. So how might this work out in your homes? Let's just say that dad has failed again. I'm familiar with this part of family life. I know it well. I'm well acquainted with failing my family. What a child could say to me, honestly, what my boys could say, you have permission, boys, is to go, Dad, you can turn. You've, you've, you, you've, you, you got too angry. Turn. And it can become, you're right. You're right. Or you're about to make a decision and you can go, have we prayed? Have we prayed about that? Have we asked the Lord that? So we try to do these even things now in our house. We're like, I have these like future geographical locations that would be cool to visit or live in. And uh, my kids are like, never are we moving ever again. I'm like, that's fine. Let's just pray about it. Um, but like we just go, let's just bring it before God. Let's bring, let's just bring, whatever it is, let's just bring it before God. But you can ask these, kids, you can ask this question. Have we prayed? Should we pray? Or thirdly, is this something we know God would love? Is this something we know God would care about? And each of those words, turn, pray, and know, can be those little clues in your household to be anchor points for a home that walks with Jesus, that listens to him, that recognizes his sacrifice, his care, his forgiveness. Very often we have homes that, you know, moms and dads, they want their homes to be centered on the Lord Jesus, and they don't know how to do it. Well, there are three. Turn, pray, no. Turn from your mistakes whenever you make them and as often as you make them. Pray for everything. And by no, give your attention to God's truth. Something we've tried to do a little bit this summer, not a lot of it, don't give me a lot of credit, please, is we'll just grab Proverbs. My kids are older, and so now we're just starting to talk about the Bible in different ways. And so we just grab Proverbs. I just look for one that, you know, I think they've something uh, silly they've done or something I don't like, and I just find a proverb on it. Just kidding. It's not really just something you don't like. Hey, we'll just read one, and we'll discuss it. One thing that we'll do is, we'll, you know, pretty familiar proverb, a gentle answer turns away, you know it? Wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And so we just talk about that. I go, what does that mean? How would that work? What does that, what does that look like? So we'll just take a proverb at times at night before we pray, and we just discuss that. Is that what we're going to do for the rest of our lives? I promise you that's not. This has changed all the time. How we pray, how we meet, how we discuss, like all those things change, but it's usually upstairs and there's usually a lot of blankets all over the bedroom because my kids sleep in like piles of blankets. 
So there's blankets, there's the Bible, and there's just us. That's basically it. But we discuss because it helps us to know God as a family so that my kids can call me on it when I'm speaking in a way that is not in keeping with what God would say. They go, is that how we know God would act? No. Maybe we should turn. You're right, we should turn. Turn, pray, and know.